to Crimes Against Mentality, a podcast about the myriad ways mental illness has been mistreated, misunderstood, and mishandled. I'm Amanda. And I am Tommy. And today we're talking about Naomi Gaines Young. Yeah, a Minnesota native. Or yeah. I guess she was born in Chicago, but uh, yeah. yeah, we're bringing it home. Yes. She came to, yeah, she came to Minnesota later, but yeah, and she's still, she's still in Minnesota, so it still counts. It's, it's yeah. Good. Yeah. It seems like a pretty good topic, sort of a little different than what we have been covering uh, in a lot of senses. So, yeah. yeah. So, a little something so fresh. true crime, but yeah. 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 Some, Still pretty sad. And it's a sad <laughs> very story. <strange>. Very. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, about uh, what, postpartum depression? Is that a... Oh, a whole lot of things. Sure, <laughs> I don't think sure. we could sum it up very well. Yeah, so fair let's enough. just get into it. Yeah, let's just dive right in. So Naomi was born on February 3rd, 1979, and grew up in the Robert Taylor Holmes Projects in Chicago. She said she had never heard the term mental illness before moving to Minnesota in 1996. She says, it's not looked at the same way in the African-American community. She, it has a stigma attached, and you're just supposed to pick yourself up. So... Yeah, before we go any further, um, we were talking about this before we started recording, but yeah. uh, it is an infor- unfortunate thing that there is a stigma attached within the African-American community, um, but, you, you know, we're, we're two white kids. We, we have no place <laughs> yeah. to uh, really comment or, you know, uh, try and say, like, how or why we think things should change. Um, so I think I'm just going to say that it's unfortunate that that's the case, and we do hope it does change in the future. Um, but obviously, that's outside of our purview. So... Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but um, we just hope that uh, that can see some positive change in the future. Yeah, we'll do everything we can to help, but at the same time, we respect the fact that we're two white kids and we're not going to make comments on... Yeah, we're not yeah. really... We don't have the uh, understanding needed to try and tackle it or share our opinions on the subject, so... Yeah. <laughs> With that said... Yeah? Yeah. So continuing on, uh, some of her belt, her, some, sorry, some of her early belts with depression were severe. She once cut her wrists in a suicide attempt, but the aftermath of the twins' birth that brought a new intensity to her struggles. Uh, those struggles were revealed to authorities in the pre-dawn dark of a St. Paul street in early August 2002. So she, at this point, does have four different kids, um, two kind of older kids with a different person, not that the amount of fathers matters, but mm-hmm. then she had these, um, she had two twins um, in, yeah, in about 2002. So that's what they're talking about there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, right? Uh she obviously isn't able to really seek a lot of help for what she's dealing with. And then she has the added responsibility of uh, raising children. I mean, yeah. if for someone who isn't 
uh, experiencing experiencing any sort of uh, mental illness, uh, added stress of raising children can be tough, you know. But yeah. when yeah, but when you're uh, when you are struggling already, and uh, and then you have this added responsibility. I mean, that's gonna get that's gonna get hard. Yeah. Well, and she had custody of all four children. She had, like, I think primary custody. Um, the father of the two older kids, and this is really the only reason I mentioned, like, the amount of fathers, is that mm -hmm. the father of the two older kids lived in Chicago, and the father of the twins lived in Minneapolis, and he was very actively involved in the kid's life. Uh, but I think she still had a large She was the, of the, like, sole, not the sole caregiver, but the primary caregiver. Like I the, think so, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. held the lion's share of the responsibility. Right, yeah. At least yeah. that's what, that's the impression I got. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's, it's a lot. <laughs> that's yeah. tough. Yeah, absolutely. And she had a lot of help, but still, I mean, no matter how much help you get. At the end of the day, it's be a lot you know, yeah, it's you and the kids, you know. Right. So, like I said, those struggles were revealed to authorities in the pre-dawn dark of a St. Paul street in early August 2002. Gaines was wandering with her children. The twins were nearly three months old, singing and talking nonsensically, according to court documents. Police so noticed. Just to, uh, reading that, I was a little confused at first. And if, in case anyone's, uh, you know, dumb like me, uh, <laughs> the the mother Naomi Gaines was the one uh, singing and talking nonsensically, not the children. Yes. Yeah. No, that's yeah. a good point to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was as I was reading over that, I was like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, they're kids, and I mean, they're <laughs> three months old. Uh, to call it singing would be wild. Oh no, no wait. They're talking about Naomi. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> and at this point, she does have all four kids with her. So I mean, I can't yeah, remember the enough, exact sure. ages of her two older kids at this point. One was only, I think, about a year older than the twins. So sure. they would have been like a year and some. So I mean, mm -hmm. they could have been singing, but yeah, still. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't believe these three months old were talking nonsense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, reading that, and then the police came and got involved. I mean, that just sounds like it's going to be some sort of uh, bad situation with the police involved. But, you know, it yeah. makes a little more sense that uh, a mother acting a little crazy with, uh, you know, it's just her and the kids, you know, that might be cause for alarm. Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah. And it was really early in the morning um, in St. Paul. I didn't look up the crime history of St. Paul in 2002, but I don't think that's a town that I would actively walk around in the dark around. Well, yeah, I mean, with any, with like any, any major city. Yeah, exactly. But um, I just as like a, a personal experience and what I think is uh, what I believe to be like statistically the case, uh, St. Paul is a lot quieter of a town than uh, Minneapolis, just because, you know, we have that easy comparison, the Twin Cities. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it might be I still it's a you know, it's a major city. So you you, you never know who you're going to run in, into there. But, um, I, yeah, I think that uh, statistically, St. Paul's. Pretty safe place. Yeah. Compared to others. I'll other. trust you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, you know, I could be wrong. Um, maybe, you know, I was, uh, I got my data from wrong places. Who knows? But that's, that's my impression, I'll say. Sure. 
So police noticed the mother with four small children and took Naomi to Regent's Hospital, where she was a where she told a social worker that God could feel her. Then she started singing again quite loudly to the point the social worker is unable to ask further questions. So hmm. yeah, we get a, a brief look at um the you know, some of the delusions she was having, you know, God sure. could feel her. Yeah. She was then sent to Abbott Northwestern Hospital's psych ward for a third time there since the twins were born. In They were three months old. Uh, according to a medical file that her mother describes as thicker than a phone book, Gaines had been diagnosed with major depression with psychotic features, schizophrenia, and, and bipolar disorder. So really Ooh. just, yeah, running the gambit there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, wow. Gaines remembers the wandering episode less clinically. She says, I was having these thoughts that I wasn't safe in my house. For whatever reason, I don't know, I was paranoid and needed to get out of the house. Which, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I mean, I don't know how the story necessarily ends, um, but as as she's making these comments, it sounds like she's pretty lucid. So... You know, if she's it, not, yeah. if she's not totally far gone, you know, she still kind of has some, you know, control of her mental faculties here. So, and just to have that explanation of it, I think is pretty cool to like try and figure out where her mind was at, at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think she made that comment, like, you know, remembering it, um, much after the fact. Right. Um. So I don't think she made that comment, like, even while she was in the psych ward in th- at sure. this point in, like, 2002, yeah, yeah. but still. I, yeah, yeah, to be that lucid that soon after that, I think that would be a, that, It'd I mean, that just sounds more like some sort of uh, drug abuse, like, coming off of some sort of drug episode, yeah. which would be a different thing, you know? Yeah, and that's definitely yeah. not what was happening here, for yep. sure. Yeah, absolutely not, I, yeah. Yeah. And just to reiterate, she'd already been in a psych ward three times. So that's like once a month since these kids were, the twins were born. And I only, you know, drive that home because she just had been in the system so many times and yet kept getting released over and over again. Yeah. And now the other thing is, do we know how many times she had been to a psych ward or a psychiatric facility of any sort? um prior to that or do we so like i mentioned a little bit earlier you know she's had some bouts of depression um and she'd had some suicide attempts but uh, as for actual time spent in a psych ward i don't know sure sure yeah pre the the twins birth yeah yeah and um she she was compliant while she was in psych wards she very much wanted to get better um she didn't leave because she insisted on leaving. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to state that. Mm-hmm. Abbott Northwestern released her after 72 hours because medications were making her more stable. They asked her to stay longer, but she refused, which I know I just said something different. <laughs> um, uh, so I did get a little bit of conflicting information there. Um I I don't want to backtrack on what I just said because I read multiple accounts where she wanted to stay longer and then, you know, I guess in this case she did refuse. So that's a... And yeah, I mean, it could certainly be a 
different facilities she ended up in, she responded to differently to. Um, yeah. So, yeah, perhaps uh, the, the right way to make comment on it here would be that the information you got was conflicting, you know, and so you're trying to give the best report you can on what you believe yeah. happened. I mean, that's yeah. just... That's just what we're doing here. And we've stated in the past, we can't always get all the facts and we certainly can't always get all the facts straight. We do our best and hope to paint a clear picture of the situation. Yes. Well, Ramsey County social workers and nurses under court order visited her home for the next six months to make sure she took her medications. But when the nurses stopped visiting five months before July 4th, 2003, Gaines quit taking the pills. She remembers... I was so paranoid, I felt people were poisoning me. It was another symptom of delusional thinking. So again, that's like looking back retrospectively and being like through therapy, being able to look through the veil of delusions and yeah, I think what she was actually feeling. It might be worth noting that um, when you are suffering from delusional thinking, and you talk about it later, um, someone who hasn't gone through that, it's tough to relate to, you know, we're sitting here, we, we are reading her talk about it saying, I was so paranoid, I felt people were poisoning me. That seems pretty intense. And it's, it's hard to relate to, or, you know, to think anything other than, wow, uh, why would you, you know, that that's pretty crazy. Because why would people be trying to poison you? Um, right. But we all kind of have a little bit of delusional thinking from time to time. You know, it, it's basically just, you know, connecting dots incorrectly, right? You, you right. follow a, a line of thought and that thought pattern uh, is skewed somehow by something. Um, it's essentially, you know, just... Uh, Enacting actions off of uh, incorrect uh, judgments or like um, just, you know, not having all the knowledge you need to make the correct choice. Um, And sometimes you rather than being like, I don't know how to handle this situation, you uh, go off of what you think is true. And sometimes you when you know you're suffering from a mental illness what you believe to be true is that people are poisoning you um it well, again cons- I, yeah go ahead consider too that she was probably on some type of antipsychotic looking at what she had already been diagnosed with like a lot of like major depression with psychotic features schizophrenia bipolar disorder all of those often get prescribed antipsychotics those although they're amazing drugs and do great things come with some pretty gnarly side effects especially if you're not on the right medication and you know it takes a long time to find the right meds um so i you know imagining like maybe she felt nauseous maybe she was having like some major brain fog and like felt like she had gaps in her memory because you know and her maybe her thoughts were thinking slower and so like all of those types of side effects if she if the antipsychotics aren't quite working to uh tamper those delusions then sure i can see where it's a pretty logical conclusion to i felt people were poisoning me oh yeah absolutely she had the opportunity she stopped taking them yep yeah it's it's tough uh and yeah i think the reason i wanted to talk about that was just um 
if you're hearing this and you're hearing her say that, you know, it's it's a lot easier to uh, in the situation that she's in believe something that from the outside sounds pretty wild. Uh, So, yeah, I just, you know, for that perspective to like drive the home, the fact home that um, this is a real thing that happens and uh, to not think of her as being crazy in those situations or like to reevaluate what crazy really means, you know, to like understand that uh, crazy isn't always dribbling mad psychotic murderer. Sometimes it's normal person in a tough situation. Yeah, I I find it really hard, or really, I find it really easy to relate to paranoid delusions because I've had plenty of them. So yeah, sometimes yeah. I forget that most people do not experience thoughts like my um, my dorm advisor is listening through the walls and he's <laughs> tapped my coffee machine. So yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I suppose perspective for you too that uh, this might be hard to relate to for some people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Naomi's mother, Florida Doss, remembers calling the police on her 21 times in between the birth of the twins and the fateful 4th of July in a desperate attempt to get her daughter the mental health care she desperately needed. Rhonda Ingram, a family friend, described Gaines as a wonderful mother, but said the system had failed her. Naomi has been begging for help. She said Gaines had repeatedly asked for help for her mental health problems. They'd treat her for a week or two at a time, then give her her children back. Yeah, it's a, uh, that's sad. So like, you know, I'd, I'd hear stuff like this from like family who said, you know, Naomi was trying really, really hard to get the help that she needed and, you know, take care of her kids. She was a great mom. But then I'd read in some articles like, oh, Naomi kept leaving the hospitals. So that's, I think, where the major conflict comes in. Where It's like, you know, I'd read the news articles and the news articles are trying to say Naomi kept leaving these mental health hospitals. But then you actually talk to the people around her and they're like, God, she tried so hard to stay in the system and get the help that she needed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I know who I would believe in this situation. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, typically, you know, when you get conflicting, uh, like, messages like that, um, the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle, right? Right. right. So it, it's very possible that it was something to the effect of she was trying to get this help, uh, but due to her own, um, you know, issues, her mental illnesses, Uh, She was leaving because, you know, she'd get paranoid about what was actually happening or something to that effect. You know what I mean? Right. That's that's what sounds most accurate to me, uh, or at least what I would guess was, you know, the truth of the situation. I don't know, you know, but... but you know or that's she just like afford stays in the psych ward right. because she's yeah. a young single mother. <laughs> yeah. So certainly, you know, yeah. Yeah. So again, um, you know, you take you have two different conflicting messages being told, uh, and you do your best to try and find you know you add them together and try to find the thing that's true about both of them, and you know, you, you hope you guess right from that. You know what I mean? Like that's the best you can do in a situation where, uh, two different people or two different groups of people are, uh, you know, telling the story differently. And I certainly could 
cherry pick all the information that I want and just present what I think is the story that I want to tell. But that's also doing disservice to the story and Mm -hmm. literally the opposite of what I'm truly trying to do, which is just present the facts and away by taking away the idea that, you know, mental health when it, you know, mental illness is bad. So, you know, even if Naomi is leading, leaving psych wards before she should, and maybe that paints her in a bad light, that's still the truth of the matter. And I can do at least Naomi the service of saying, well, yeah, she was clearly having paranoid delusions. And like you said, you know, that could very well be why she wanted to leave these places early. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, whatever the case may be, um, the fact is she was leaving them before she probably should have. And yeah, getting to the bottom of where the fault is at that ultimately isn't important. Um, But in the sense of trying to figure out uh, how best to service the, you know, Naomi story, it, it does help to understand sort of like all the, you know, the motive motivations or the truth behind the, the matter. So I yeah. suppose that's why I'm trying to, you know, get to the bottom of it or, you know, try and figure out who uh, who exactly did what and why sort of thing, you know? Yep. Yeah. Also, if anybody hears gusty wind sounds behind Tommy's, well, I suppose you can't tell who it's coming from. It's coming from Tommy. It's a real, it's been real windy in Minnesota for like a couple of weeks now. Yeah. <laughs> and ever since I moved out to the country, uh... Yeah, it's always windy out here, which I love. I mean, I don't, I don't hate it, um, and I'll do my best to make sure that noise doesn't get into the into the cast. <laughs> but you know, we'll see what happens. It's um, just such like a quintessential. I feel like I'm listening to an old Disney movie because I feel like <laughs> that sound effect comes in a lot. <laughs> it's kind of uh-huh. funny. <laughs> Like Snow White's running away from her evil stepmother, yeah. and yep, in the dark. Of well, the night. yeah, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll leave it in as a little, little background noise for Some the uh, sad story we're telling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting back to it. Yeah. Uh, Gaines, uh, Gaines' mother, Florida, says she was having episodes. She was acting out, looking at the sun, having the babies in the front yard, sitting in a pool of mud. She was talking nonsense, wouldn't let us help her. It was just a lot to take in. When police officers huh. yeah, or an ambulance arrived after calling 911, Das would explain, that's Gaines' mother, that her daughter's behavior was out of the ordinary and would say she wanted her assessed. Looking back on that time, Gaines can now see that psychosis had taken over every aspect of her life. At the time, a practicing Muslim who wore for full Muslim garb she experienced discrimination at work in the days after September 11th. So again, this is 2002-2003, so just like two, three years after 9-11. So we're in the full swing of, you know, anybody who looks Middle Eastern is bad. So Yeah. Yeah. Very sad As, time in our history. Yeah, definitely. As her psychosis took hold, Gaines became convinced that government agents had targeted her family. Das recalls how medical professionals and police did not warn her about the danger Naomi possessed to herself and her children. Aware of her daughter's mental health issues, but unaware of the true severity, she allowed the young mother to spend time with her children unsupervised. Oh. And that, yeah, and that brings us to the day of the crime. Mm-hmm. So it the was the summer, part. yeah, the real rough part. 
It was the summer of 2003 in St. Paul, Minnesota, and the day was beautiful. I actually looked up the weather. (laughs) I found like a sort of like way back machine for (laughs) the weather that day. Surprisingly hard to find. I thought that information would be like readily available, and I kind of had to dig. But anyway. Huh. Yeah. 85 degrees with light cloud cover and a slight breeze. Sounds like a typical summer day in Minnesota. Yeah. It was a perfect type of weather to hang outside all day without overheating. Florida Doss was enjoying the fireworks show from her 12th floor apartment after allowing her daughter, Naomi Gaines, some alone time with her twin sons. Naomi Gaines later told police that she spent the early hours of the 4th of July at her townhouse in St. Paul's McDonough Homes Public Housing Complex, cleaning and doing laundry. So, and just to make this point clear, the day of the crime is July 4th. Yes, thank you. Because, yeah, that wasn't stated point for point. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Her two older children, who right at this point are ages, uh, sorry, on that point in time, whatever, ages seven and two, (laughs) were -hmm. visiting relatives in Chicago where their father lived. After Naomi was done cleaning, she took the babies, 14-month-old twin boys, to a family picnic at Battle Creek Park, which is just a local park. That evening, she drove downtown St. Paul and parked. She put the toddlers in a stroller and walked across the Wabasha Street Bridge towards the Taste of Minnesota celebration underway on Harriet Island. And thousands of people were waiting for fireworks to start. Gaines made one round trip over the bridge, looking for other single moms or even just a friendly face, and then again walked away from downtown towards Raspberry Island. On her way, Gaines told police she bumped her stroller into someone who told her to watch where she was going. She told police later it felt like people were looking at her. So shortly after 9 p.m., Gaines stopped near the southeast corner of the bridge. She took one of the twins, Supreme Knowledge Allah, out of the stroller, kissed him, told him she was sorry, and threw him into the Mississippi River. Then she kissed his brother, Sincere Understanding Allah, and threw him in too. Gaines stripped off her pants and shirt, climbed up on the railing, and fell backward into the water between Raspberry Island and the river South Bank. She yelled, Freedom, as she dropped. I'm tearing up. <laughs> this story makes me so sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's tough. A man visiting from La Crosse, Wisconsin, was able to pull gains and supreme knowledge out of the river. Sincere understanding had bobbed briefly to the surface after hitting the water, but was pulled under by the current. His body was found two days later, 11 miles downriver. At Regions Hospital... Gaines explained to police that it hadn't been her plan to kill her children, just herself. But at the last minute, she realized she didn't want her kids to have to live in this world without her. Oh, man. Yeah. She told them she would rather be dead than live in a place where I'm not free to walk around, free to be who I am. I'm not free to see other moms out, single black moms with their kids, enjoying their kids. She didn't want to die alone in her apartment, she explained, and that was why she chose a spot where everyone could see her. Naomi Gaines and her son, Supreme, survived. Supreme was placed in the custody of his father, Allah, and Naomi was charged with second-degree murder and attempted murder. 
Whew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, I, I'm going to just say something quick. Um, I read some articles that wanted to say that, so her kids' names, um, Supreme Knowledge and Sincere Understanding, some people tried to tie this to a cult that they thought that Naomi was in and, you know, trying to play up, you know, her, oh, look at how crazy she is. I read a later article that said that the father had actually chosen these names because he wanted his kids to have really strong uh, names to help them navigate, you know, life with these, you know, you know, kind of like imbuing strength on them through their, you know, really strong names because, you know, it's it's tough being a black kid in America. Yeah. Well, especially a Muslim at the time, you know? Right. Exactly. So, yeah. I don't know which one has all of the truth, but I, you know, don't really believe the stuff that the only time I I read like, oh, she was involved in a cult was the stuff that came out very shortly after this event happened. And I think people were just trying to like latch onto any like, ooh, look at this sensational piece I can add to this already sensational story. Yeah. I mean, certainly a story like this um, can easily be sensationalized, uh, and probably will be. So, yeah, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that um, things that are a little more bizarre or a little more eye-catching, like cult involvement, uh, probably have less truth to them than uh, than is to be believed. I guess I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, yeah, yeah. I I certainly <laughs> would rather I would believe that. Um, you know, they're just names, you know, that I mean, they're, right. you know, pretty unique names, certainly. But at the same time, you know, there's there's no rule book saying you can't name your kid whatever the heck you want. So yeah. I like, yeah, the fact that, uh, you know, you see these pretty unique names and, you know, try to tie them to some sort of cult thing. Maybe it's true. Probably isn't. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. For a short time, Naomi spent time in a psychiatric ward of Regents Hospital. However, she was then transferred over to Ramsey County Jail into a cell that overlooked the Mississippi River. Having to witness the area where the crime occurred every single day took a serious toll on Naomi's still terrible mental health. Yeah. Now, yeah. I I think... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, take out what we know about Naomi for a second. In some cases, some people would see this as poetic justice, but, you know, like if she were truly a cold-blooded murderer, I think some people would want her to be in that jail cell and looking at, you know, the place where she committed that terrible crime. However, that's no. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, not in this case. <laughs> no. So, not at all. I definitely, she, yeah, shouldn't, uh, I mean, that's just cruel and unusual, so. Right. I mean, yeah. As- if you don't know a lot of the story, all you know is that a mother tried to drown her two children and then herself, and that's all you know. I mean, yeah, I can see you being a little rash in your uh, desire for uh, vindictive justice. Uh, I have said multiple times that I am very much against that concept, especially when you don't know everything involved in the situation. So, no. Yeah, this is awful. The fact that she can see where this 
awful moment for her took place every day. No, that's not doing her any good. No. So as she said, it was horrible. I was thinking of that night over and over. I continued to decompensate. She was then sent back to the psychiatric ward at Regions, where her lawyer suggested she waive her rights to protest civil commitment as mentally ill and dangerous. And Gaines agreed. On the advice of her attorney, who did not believe she would be successful with an insanity plea, Gaines pled guilty and was sentenced to 19 years for murdering Sincere and 14 years for attempting to murder Supreme. For the next decade and a half, Gaines spent time at the Minnesota Security Hospital in St. Peter and Shakopee Women's Prison. At St. Peter, she was prescribed Geodon, a medication that helped her psychotic symptoms subside. And she said, it's my miracle drug. So I don't normally name drop all the places that she's ever been, but because this is local to us and the majority of our listeners are still our pals, and everyone's in Minnesota, that's, Mm -hmm. you know why I kept in all the the town names and stuff. I mean, it's kind of cool in this situation, too, because there's a very good chance that um, one of my good friends who uh, whose home I crashed in a lot when I was younger uh, was living for a time real close to the Shakopee Women's Prison. So it's a very a real possibility that she was there when I was, you know, sleeping oh, she, in a house across yeah, the block from it. Yeah, she definitely was. Yeah. yeah. Because that was, what, 2010, 11, 12, 13, yeah, around that, that time? Yeah, yeah, roughly around that time, yeah. And I think she was in prison until, For, like, like, 2018. 18, sure. I don't remember. Yeah. So, yeah. I should know that, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, definitely around the same time. It's so kind of interesting. Begin- yeah, it is kind of interesting, yeah. At the beginning, she couldn't accept the fact that her son was dead. She said, one time my mom came to see me and I was like, where is Sincere? You've got to go get him. And my mom's like, he's gone, baby. I'm like, gone where? The gravity of the situation did not come to me until I was stabilized on medication. Oh, yeah. I wanted to say that point, too. You You know, we've talked about it a lot in the past, but sometimes it's really hard to find the right medication for you. But when you find it, suddenly you're normal a lot of the time you know or at yeah. or at least like you feel so good you you finally are like you know the 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 clouds break the sun is shining and you feel like you can take it all on you know it's there there are those great moments and so it's yeah you know like happens when we talk about situations sadly it didn't come soon enough but right. the fact that it did happen um, is really good news. Yeah. So let me just finish up her quote quick. Yep. Uh, yep. She said, once I came to grips with what happened and everything I'd been through, that's when I actually started mourning my son. Yeah, I can I can definitely relate to what you were saying. Um, for me, Lamotrigine was definitely my miracle drug. <laughs> um, I, you know, it, I lucked out and it was the only drug I had to take and it, it worked really well for me. Um, before I got a rash with it, but um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't even understand how much I was struggling every single day until I wasn't struggling nearly as much anymore after taking it. I mean, I had only really gone on medication because I knew that wedding planning was going to be crazy stressful, and I wanted to try and 
uh, pre-mitigate some of the damage that could happen. Knowing that one of my biggest triggers for any type of mood swing is stress. So I was like, okay, well, before I get super stressed, let's try medication. And yeah, I, I tried it and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I should have done this <laughs> way sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, you know, again, going down the path of finding the right medication is often very stressful in and of itself because mm-hmm. you never know if you're going to get the right one, especially right away. Right. Uh, but yeah, when you do find the right one, it is a really, really good time. It is a great time. <laughs> so at the time of the murder, Naomi was suffering from postpartum depression, major depression with psychotic features, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. A slew of diagnoses that all overlap, probably diagnosed by multiple professionals during her many brushes with both voluntary and involuntary care after her family tried desperately to get her the help she needed. Like I said, like her mom called the police 21 times after the children, the twins were born, just trying to get her assessed and in the right place at the right time. And unfortunately, you know, 21 times wasn't enough, I guess. And I guess that's not. not. Yeah, definitely not Naomi's fault. Definitely not Florida's fault. No. Florida Doss, her mom, not the state. No. <laughs> This yeah, definitely the- <laughs> I mean, yeah, I it, it would be wild to bring Florida into this, but the state, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, if we were going to, it's probably Florida's fault, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somehow, <laughs> yeah, 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 but anyway, uh, yeah, I, despite all these diagnoses, her attorney advised her to simply plead guilty, and after looking further into Minnesota's insanity defense, I agreed that was most likely the right call. So Minnesota is one of the few states left that still applies the Amnotin standard. According to the Minnesota statute, no person having a mental illness or cognitive impairment so as to be incapable of understanding the proceedings or making a defense shall be tried, sentenced, or punished for any crime. But the person shall not be excused from criminal liability except upon proof that at the time of committing the alleged criminal act, the person was laboring under such a defect of reason from one of these causes as not to know the nature of the act or that it was wrong. And uh, before I explain that a little in less legalese, I want to remind everyone that Minnesota is now our arch nemesis. And as I said in the previous episode, Minnesota can go suck a dick. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, and this is uh, certainly a different reason sort of i mean it just falls under the same uh you know category of reasons why minnesota can suck a dick at this point in time but yeah, yeah it is another reason because uh, you just hearing that said it very clearly doesn't apply to every situation where insanity is the culprit you know what i mean yeah so What makes this significant is that it requires a much higher standard for the application of an insanity defense than may apply in most other states. In other words, it requires severe mental illness or incapacity. Even a break from reality, including visions, delusions, and more, may be insufficient. It requires the two additional steps that the mental illness apply directly to the criminal offense and that the insanity apply at the time it took place. So her insanity definitely applies at the time it took place, but the fact that, like, 
she knew what she was doing basically means that this doesn't work. <laughs> and that's ridiculous. Yeah, super dumb. <laughs> yeah. N- Naomi was clearly... Like... Yeah, she was clearly insane at the time of the crime. And the murder and attempted murder committed were also clearly linked to the criminal offense. Regardless of those facts, looking at Naomi's actions where she kissed her boys, apologized, and intentionally threw them off the bridge, this shows she knew her actions would lead to their deaths. And yeah. Yes. I mean, again, yeah, under Minnesota statute would uh, certainly not allow her uh, to use the insanity plea or better said, the insanity plea wouldn't work for her. Right. But it should. (laughs) It just sounds so much like that mens rea defense that we absolutely trashed on, rightfully so, in the first episode with Kaler. And, you know, we were like, oh, at least all these other states, like only four states have this mens rea defense. Everyone else has a proper insanity defense. And then I read this and I was like, well, hot damn. (laughs) This is just as bad. Maybe not quite as. It's it's a different kind of bad. It's, yeah. yeah, but it, it does, again, ultimately equate to the same sort of, uh, well, bullshit, you, you know, yeah. it, they're, uh, they're just, it, it just shows a lack of understanding as to what a human can experience that uh, falls outside of, you know, typical thinking. You know, uh, yeah. what, where they, where their minds can go, uh, and what that can end up looking like, which is nasty. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's so limiting. It's, it's very frustrating. It's like, it is. I get it's it. She knew, she knew exactly what she was doing. She wanted her children to die. Like, that was her intention. But regardless, like, she was operating under the belief that, her kids would never have a good life. People were tracking them. The government was tracking them. You know, people wanted them dead and they would never be able to be happy and free. And the fact that the state doesn't allow those considerations is sickening. So, yeah. It, and it's just, it's just, it's wrong, you know? Yeah. It, it is, uh, at its core, a misunderstanding of mental illness. And now the only debate at that point would be, should we criminally punish the mentally ill? Right. Well, and in Minnesota says, yes, we should. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, whether they are doing that intentionally or not, that's what they're doing. And And just to reiterate a point that we've made a thousand times, but we'll never stop making, even if she pled not guilty by reason of insanity, that doesn't mean she gets to just go home. She Mm -hmm. would still spend time in a state hospital where she would be treated for her mental illness. And then at a later time, she'd go in front of a jury and uh, make her case that, you know, she's well enough to be released back into society. And they would decide at that point, yes or no, based on testimonies by her doctors and, and attorneys and yada yada. Yeah, so and she, anyone else involved uh, in her, I mean, incarceration at that right. point. Yeah. yeah. 
So it's, yeah, I mean, it acknowledge that <laughs> this poor young woman was suffering and it, the situation is not her fault. <laughs> if anybody yeah. should be sent to jail, it's all the stupid hospitals that had her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And said, well, yeah, who couldn't good. do their job, uh, basically, yeah. right? At the end of the right. day, regardless of whether they were uh, not, you know, really taking her case seriously or you know she was busting out and they couldn't keep her there at the end of the day that you know they're that's part of their job and i know it's a hard job but it happened multiple times right like regardless of who was truly at fault in those situations ultimately it's on the hospital to make sure that she gets the help she needs and oh, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I don't think I wrote it anywhere in the notes. So maybe, hopefully I don't repeat myself later on. But uh, there was at one point where she was like court ordered before this to spend time in a psych ward. I think it was after that like first situation I talked about where she was wandering the streets like really early in the morning with her four kids. So she was court ordered to go to a psych ward and they, the judge was like, after a short, very short time, was like, okay, Naomi, you can go home. And she was like, please, I don't want to go home. And he said, listen, it'll be fine. Just go home. We'll send nurses to your house. Everything will be okay. And she's like, seriously, I don't think that's a good idea, but I don't have any control here. So then she was released from the hospital. So My God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> so, I mean, really, it, it, the, uh, the fault all lies with the courts in this, honestly. Again? This keeps happening. As always. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it won't be the last time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I cut you off mid-thought. No, oh, I mean, uh, you know, it's all been uh, something we've said before. Uh, not that I won't drive the same point home a thousand <laughs> <Yeah>. times. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's just the fact that they don't understand how to deal or how to properly handle uh, cases like Naomi's. And that, I mean, from wherever you're standing, that's scary because if they can't handle her correctly, even if she is suffering from mental illness and that's at the core of what they can't handle correctly, it just, uh, you, you lose a lot of trust in the justice system. Yeah. And for, you know, for a lot of other reasons, not just how they handle cases with mental illness. Right. Just heinous all around. Here, here. <laughs> well, post-conviction, Naomi spent time in a state hospital as well as a prison, so she was receiving care for her mental illness and complied with medications and therapy the best she could. For a time, Naomi believed that her psychosis was situational, that it was a one-time incident that she could put behind her. She even stopped taking her medication, but then she relapsed and she began to see her mental illness as a chronic disease, like diabetes, that required ongoing maintenance. She then went back on medication, saying, The true acceptance of my having a persistent mental illness didn't happen until very recently. Which Which is common. Very, very common. Most definitely. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those things that regardless of how many times you hear it, it's just something you kind of have to learn and accept for yourself. And I mean, that's you. Some people are more accepting of the fact that that will be true. 
when they have a diagnosis of a chronic illness. But regardless of what the illness is, hearing you have a chronic illness, like you, I mean, you use the example of diabetes. I can imagine that would be really hard to accept that that's your entire life going forward, especially if it's not something that you dealt with since you were a child, you know? Or even Uh, even in that situation, like growing up and realizing that like, oh, this is something I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. Yeah. I know what you're saying though. Like as a kid, you kind of grow up and that's the only thing you know. Right. you, even people in those situations come to a realization Certainly. like people don't all go through this. Oh, yep. oh, <laughs> and Why, I'm going to have yeah. to do this extra thing in my life forever. And if I don't do that, I could die. Well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it certainly does suck. But there is a point of acceptance to the fact that, like, there is this extra step you have to take care do to take care of yourself. Uh, and when you get to that point of acceptance, it does start to suck a lot less, you know, and, and granted, you know, the, uh, the maintenance or something like diabetes is a little bit more intense than, you know, having to take some extra pills and then, you know, do like therapy for a specific mental illness. Um, that's very tough too, depending, you know, we've discussed DID, I can only imagine what the therapy for that must be like um, and like what you have to do mentally to get through something like that or schizophrenia or something like that. Like that can't be easy. But when you when you get to that point of acceptance that 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 is what you're going to have to do, it gets a lot easier. You know, it it gets easier to accept that that's like, you know, it's uh, like uh, like an exercise routine starting it. You know, it sucks because it's a lot of hard work and you don't want (laughs) to do it. But then you just keep doing it and it becomes a part of your daily routine and it starts to suck a lot less. Yeah, you think about it less often. It's not so much of like a conscious like thought like, oh, I have to do this. I have to remember to do this. Like it just becomes part of your routine. And then it's like, okay, well, this is you forget life before having to do that stuff. And so it just becomes the norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, yeah, is is a good is a good point. Um, you know, when, again, it's a it, when you accept that it's just another part of living, like brushing your teeth, and yeah, it's not so bad. Yeah. Naomi's family, her sister Natalie and mother Florida Doss, remained close to Naomi during her incarceration. She isn't allowed to see her surviving son Supreme but maintains a connection to her two older children who are being raised by Natalie and Florida. Supreme lives with his father, Allah, who, well, Allah is his last name, and I I didn't catch his first name, but anyway. Okay. Who will only allow contact with Naomi if Supreme expressly asks for it. While in prison, Naomi pursued her passion for writing and music, hobbies that have persevered throughout her life. It was through music that she met her ex-boyfriend, the father of Supreme and Sincere and she is currently a singer in a hip-hop group and has written several novels. It's really cool. So, yeah, and even from, like, the things that she said, she always did seem to have a, a, a you know, a certain level of intelligence to her. Um, definitely. Which, yeah, which definitely kind of drives, uh, just makes it more believable that these were psychotic episodes brought on by mental illness rather than just a you know 
a, a moment of, I don't know, just like kind of losing it and doing something tragic, you know, like she certainly yeah. seems intelligent enough to be able to figure a lot of things out for herself. So, um, it being delusional in some way, uh, it's like, it just seems like something that would be out of her control typically. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, yeah, not all that keeps Naomi busy. After spending several months fruitlessly looking for her first steady post-incarceration job, she found a part-time position at NAMI, which stands for National Alliance on Mental Illness, as a marketing assistant. She visited the nonprofit St. Paul office to find out about volunteering and met Abder Holden, whom she corresponded with during her incarceration. She said... Er, Naomi said, after all these years, I didn't even know what she looked like. When we finally met, Sue was like, can I give you a hug? I hugged her. There was a little tear. I asked her about volunteering, and I, and I came here to volunteer. After a while, she saw that I was stable, and I could come to work and get the job done, and she gave me the job. Which, so, yeah, good for her. Sue Abderholden? Is that yes. the person's yep. name? Okay. Yeah, that wasn't really stated very clearly, so clarification <laughs> there. Yeah. Yep, yep. And and she was the uh she was the person who hired uh Naomi at right, for, so they, for the position at Nami. They had been yeah, corresponding while Naomi was still incarcerated and then, you know, post incarceration Naomi like most people really struggled to get a new job because anybody with a felony on their record is heavily discriminated against. Mm-hmm. So she tried her best and then was like, ah, whatever, at least I can volunteer, went to NAMI, and then, yeah, after proving that she was good to go, she was actually hired on with, a, with pay. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, you know, probably a good fit for her, to be completely honest. Uh, definitely. So the it's, job at uh, NAMI, yeah. yeah, gives Gaines a platform for her activism. She continues to volunteer as an in-our-own-voice speaker, telling groups about her experience with mental illness. And In Our Own Voice is a unique public education program in which trained speakers share compelling personal stories about living with a mental illness and achieving recovery, demonstrating that there is hope for recovery for people with mental illnesses. So, very cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they have uh, a website... Um, if you navigate to like the NAMI website and then there's a section about in our own voice and they also showcase some podcasts and a lot of them are for people of color and not for people of color, but presented by people of color and sharing their voice, you know, for everyone and it's really interesting i didn't have the time to listen to any of the podcasts but i definitely recommend i should look up what they're called yeah and i mean maybe we could uh in the future as a maybe an offshoot or you know maybe as a segment of crimes against mentality maybe we do something that's like uh uh, what's the reverse or the opposite of crime? Like good things for mentality or something <laughs> like that. And just, you know, do a little cover of what this, uh, what the, that whole bit is all about after yeah. listening to it. 
So there's two podcasts. One is called Resistance in Color, and the other one is called Wellness in Color. So definitely recommend checking them out. I don't yeah. know if they're still continuing, but they at least have some stuff out there, and I'm sure it's still available to listen to. Yeah. It's probably good stuff. Most definitely. So that experience has led to other speaking opportunities. She spoke on a panel titled The Criminalization of Mental Illness. Hey! At, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at Hamlin University, which is just a local university. And she's enthusiastic about other speaking opportunities, eager to use her own story to help others navigate serious mental illness and make the struggle easier for their families, especially for members of the African-American community. Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good for her. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, like we can't comment on too much of uh, how that would be done, but you know the fact that it is being done is really good. Yeah, and at least we can you know shout out some resources yeah. for people who might want to know more. And absolutely, that includes myself. I should definitely take the time to listen to those podcasts and mm -hmm. educate myself. Yeah. So I mean, um. Before I move on too much from Naomi's story, because I have some other stuff I want to talk to that kind of indirectly relates to Naomi, um, Naomi herself does not minimize the horror of the crime that was committed. She has learned to accept it and has also learned that like it wasn't all her fault, but she still does take responsibility for her actions and... Um, with that said, you know, she understands, like, she was influenced by delusions and everything. But, like, I, I make that point because I, I'm not excusing the murder. I'm not excusing the horrible things that she did. But she, you know, was ill. And she shouldn't be held entirely culpable for those actions. And I'm glad to see that she has found a place in society where she can continue to thrive and that's what we want out of these situations. We don't want uh, mental illness to get to the point where something horrible happens, but it is good to see that there are at least some resources out there for people to get back up on their feet, get healthy, and then spread their story. Like with James St. James, who, you know, unfortunately killed his family when he was young. He was able to... Uh, you know, reform himself and uh, become a professor and change lives for many other people. Yeah. I'd go so far as to say that um, for anyone who commits a heinous act, like, I would certainly hope that reform is a possibility. And when that reform does happen and it can be, you know, proven believably that they should be welcomed back into society with open arms. Um, yeah, uh, you know, mental illness or otherwise, and and certainly, you know, it it's as hard as it is to look past anyone's wrongdoings. Uh, it's certainly more than likely a lot harder for the person who committed the act to keep on going. You know, right? Um, yeah. So you know, you can't punish them any more much more than they're punishing themselves. I, you know, and certainly there are cases where there are individuals who uh, deserve to be, you know, uh, punished with a life sentence. You know, there are some yeah. acts that are just so incredibly awful that 
that could be a worthy outcome or punishment. Uh, but, you know, the vast majority of these situations, as awful and tragic as the events uh, that transpired were, yeah, I certainly, you know, I personally would have no issue working with Naomi, you know. Uh, she right. seems really well put together and taking the steps to, uh, uh, you know, keep her illness in check. Uh, good for her, you know? Um, right. I, you know, I'm not gonna be like upset with having to work with someone with diabetes. You're right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, You know, unless they're like actively, uh, you know, denying that they are, should take their insulin and that's, you know, uh, you know, causing them to struggle in the workplace. I, you know, I'm going to be upset about that, but I'll try to get them help rather than, you know, or like try and, you know, help them find the whatever they need to feel that they should, you know, take the steps needed to control the, their, their illness. Um, but you know, and as like we said earlier, it's the same case for any sort of mental illness like that. She needs to do maintenance to keep things going in the right path. And it sounds like she accepts that and does that. So why would I have any issue with being around her? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And, you know, well, yeah, this is a decent segue. So, like, you know, the the time at which her psychosis seemed to be the worst was right after giving birth. And that's unfortunately very common, especially if you have a history of mental illness. Postpartum mental issues, I mean, they skyrocket. And mm-hmm. it, the fact that, you know, things weren't being monitored as closely as they are are now, you know, but back in 2002... You know, people didn't screen mothers for postpartum depression, not at, at birth, not afterwards. And so it was pretty easy for situations like this to spiral out of control. And there was a another um, similar type of crime that happened in the exact same housing complex that, complex that Naomi was living at, like just a year prior, where a woman ended up, I think, murdering several of her children. And it was... I think because of like postpartum issues, like mental issues. So uh, that was kind of a long winded way to say, let's talk about postpartum depression. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that, but yeah, I mean, and certainly everything you said is valid and true. So yeah. So yeah, let's talk about (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah. There was an article written by Beth Hawkins that took a deep dive into postpartum depression, the quote, baby blues, postpartum psychosis, and other common scary thoughts that plague new mothers and new parents. Uh, She writes, when one of my kids was a newborn, I was plagued by a dream in which I would calmly and without a shred of rancor drop him off a balcony. As he fell, impossibly slowly, I'd think to myself, Oh, shit, I'm not going to be able to undo this. I had to jerk awake to find myself in the TV's blue glow in a rocking chair in my living room, terrified that I dropped the baby from my arms, although I never had. And then I'd sit there holding him close in the middle of the night, exhausted and deeply ashamed I could think such things. The dream lasted mere seconds, but to this day, I can't tolerate the sight of either of my children near any kind of precipice. Certainly would be traumatic. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine my surprise to discover my dream, essentially, in sociologist Susan Moshart's book, The Mask of Motherhood. 
I found myself in a second-story bedroom, hurling a pile of indistinct little bundles one by one out the window, she wrote. Eventually, it dawned on me that the bundles were, in fact, neatly swaddled babies. I was surprised, naturally, but determined to keep on with my work. It's a sad business, I remember thinking to myself in the dream, but it simply had to be done. I can't say I had these dreams, but um, it's, I think it's so wild. And, you know, I'm going to keep reading and, and you'll see <laughs> throughout that you, this, is a, this is a common thing. <laughs> yeah. After Naomi Gaines jumped, I called every mother I knew who had ever expressed ambivalent feelings about her children. Like Ma's heart, I found that virtually all had had what we came to call the dropping dream. One threw hers off a ledge, another a window. Dreams. Two said they'd had the uninvited thoughts while awake. One friend, who, like Gaines, was a teen when her first child was born, had been so scared by the dream that she took her daughter to the pediatrician and, despite her fears that her age already marked her as potentially unfit and the baby would be taken away, confessed. Her entire worldview was changed when the doctor burst out laughing and told her she'd be crazy if she didn't have such thoughts. Uh, If only that happened every time, you know, instead of being discriminated, people would just be like, no, that's actually normal. (laughs) Right, yeah. Another friend had been so disturbed by her repetitive thoughts of pitching her son over a banister that she did some research. Part of it could be archetypal, don't you think? She suggested when I asked. An image integrated into the collective unconscious of motherhood. When mothers are teetering on the cusp of insanity, as we often are, our subconscious dredges up the image to soothe and scare the shit out of us simultaneously. The absurdity of the thought is what shocks us back into reality. Those of us who have enough support, just enough sleep, and most importantly, impulse control, merely entertain the thought as a psychological release. And Beth Hawkins makes a critical point that everyone has the same thoughts and feelings as Naomi, but unfortunately, Naomi didn't have the support or the resources that most people have to overcome those thoughts and recognize them as fleeting, albeit insidious, thoughts. Beth also provided these statistics. The so-called baby blues, the sudden drop in hormones that follow childbirth, affect 80% of new mothers. 15 to 40% of women will suffer a new episode of mental illness within a year of childbirth. Perhaps one in 500 will become psychotic. Women who suffer from postpartum depression once are at a higher risk of experiencing it again following subsequent births, and often the recurrences are worse. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that... (laughs) That should certainly be evaluated more, you know, like not only in the sense of uh, maybe there's something more that can be done to combat that in the first place. But if even if there's not um, and even if there is, you know, just being creating more awareness for that, yeah, uh, you know, so that people aren't so terrified like, uh, you know, Naomi was that these things were, these thoughts were coming to her right? and wouldn't, you know, less people might act on these awful thoughts and feel less awful for having them, you know? Right. Well, and like I, like I had said, the, you know, the baby blues are super common. It's just the term, like you're so flooded with hormones, like during your whole pregnancy, definitely a crap ton of them during 
actually giving birth and like immediately after and then your body is yeah. like okay the baby's out time to return to normal but your body doesn't know how yeah. to do that quite yet so you like yeah basically just like have a, a dip in serotonin for a while and um you're exhausted because you know you just did this really physical uh task and you know the hardest thing you may ever do in your life and then you don't get a break they hand you your kid and they're like okay well it's yours now <laughs> yeah now it's now it's time for the real hard part yeah <laughs> I definitely, yeah. I mean, I didn't really have. Not to, uh, not to downplay, you know, childbirth and child, you know, rearing or like, you know, carrying a child. That's obviously like, not something I can comment on directly, <laughs> certainly. And I, I can only imagine, I, you know, uh, I, I'm glad I'll never have to do that. <laughs> it's, <You should> be. <laughs> yeah, it seems awful. And I have nothing but respect for mothers who have gone through that. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to make that comment now so that <laughs> what I said doesn't seem like, yeah, it's not that hard. It was really hard. It was raising the thing, you know? Uh, yeah. Different for everybody. I think yep, they're certainly. equally tough. Uh, but yeah I, yeah, I definitely had a moment of like, well, I had a pretty long labor, but I just remember like, okay, the kid was born and then, you know, it, they were like, okay, now feed it with your body. And I was like, don't I get to like relax for a second? No. Yeah. Uh, oh. No. Ever, ever, yeah. ever again. You say, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a a rude awakening into the realities of parenthood. Just like, oh, I don't get yeah. to take a nap after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here we yeah. go. Yeah ever <laughs> yeah and i'd already been awake for yeah. like over 48 hours but yeah it was it was interesting uh oh no i yeah. took a nap earlier in the day anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's uh yeah it's intense and so it's a whole thing but, yeah. but i mean yeah that all just kind of drives the point home even more that it's intense yeah right, right. uh you not only like physically but also like you know with the hormones biologically and then just the whole fact that oh i just did one of the you know toughest things physically i'll ever do in my life and it's you know it's not done right. basically yeah. like i don't get to relax now yeah like i can only imagine what that must be like especially when you're going through these hormonal changes as like your body's trying to get back to not carrying another living yeah. being inside you and you're yeah. already suffering from mental illness. So not only are you predisposed to postpartum depression, but you're just already going through it basically <laughs> from, yeah. you know, so yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. And one, it's a whole thing. Yeah. One thing that never really gets talked about is postpartum psychosis, which I hadn't even known was a thing until I told my psychiatrist that I was pregnant and he's like, Oh shit. And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be a great time. And he's like, well, you just, well, I mean, he was very happy for me. And he was like, you know, yeah. that's great. But he's also like, you need to be very careful. And this is why. And he explained, you know, not only am I at risk for postpartum depression, but I'm also at risk for postpartum psychosis, which is no different from psychosis other than it's brought on by delivering a child. So, yeah, yeah it, it's it's not, I had been expecting a, a rough pregnancy and a rough postpartum time, but I hadn't quite 
realized that, you know, I really was more at risk for psychosis. So it definitely put it in perspective. And at least now, go ahead. Uh, in your situation, what actually ended up happening was almost the reverse. Right. Like we've talked uh, about, yeah, you know, in other episodes. Yep. Yeah. Like I ended up having I, a great experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I only. I only make that point here because, uh, well, like uh, what was stated earlier was the fact that Naomi didn't have resources to help her after the fact, right? Right. You are, you know, talking right now about you did, you know, your uh, your doctor kind of explained to you the things you are at risk for yeah. and, you know, probably helped you prepare for those. Uh, and I mean, I, who's to say what would have happened if you hadn't had that preparation. No, definitely. But, I mean, yeah, I, I can certainly, you know, we can certainly sort of guess or speculate that having that prep and that those resources were a huge benefit to you. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I had also, I've also mentioned in previous episodes, but my, my OBGYN was also very aware of my mental state. I was very open with her and... um. As a consequence, I didn't have any qualms like telling nurses in the hospital, like, yes, I'm bipolar. And so I, I had the opportunity to be very open with my mental illness, where if I didn't have the support of a psychiatrist, of my husband, of of my OB, I probably would not have been so forthcoming with that information. But I knew that people would be on my side because you always have to wonder, too, like that teen earlier mentioned in Beth Hawkins' story where she was afraid that her kid might get taken away if she's honest about what she's feeling. And yeah, yeah I, I did not have that experience. I'm very grateful. We live in a time now where that's, you know, happening less often where people are stigmatized as mothers just because they have mental illness, but <laughs> it's, um, we still have a long way to go. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's certainly something we can all help move forward. Yeah, you know, as much as we can. Just, I mean, even just the very, uh, the very effort of destigmatizing mental illness as a whole would, you know, I'm sure do tons of help to make sure that uh, mothers aren't stigmatized for their mental illness. Yes, and so, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, there's so much, there's so much pressure on you know mothers or mother figures to be perfect in everything that they do and the moment they fuck up, you know, there's just like so much pressure that's put on them. Like, yeah, it's rough. And let's not even get into uh, the talk about breastfeeding. Cause that would be another hour long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the fat is best y'all. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> if anyone needs to hear it, uh, you're not a terrible monster for giving your child formula. It's uh, it's very healthy and your kid will be perfectly fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, no matter what you, what your own, you know, stance is, you're supported as long as you aren't not supporting other people. Yes. If you want to give, if you want to breastfeed your child, hey, props to you. That's amazing. I only did it for a short time. Can't say I enjoyed it. And uh, I have a lot of respect for people who breastfeed for any amount of time, whether it's an hour or two years, like props to you. But, uh, and I don't know a lot of people that do it, but never hate on women for choosing a different path in life because you don't have any clue what that person is going through. Maybe they wanted to breastfeed and they couldn't. Maybe something else happened. Maybe they just never wanted to in the first place and that's perfectly legitimate as well. 
Okay. Maybe they uh, work for a formula-making company and get discounts on the formula. Oh, God, that'd be wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Formula's expensive. (laughs) I believe it. Yes. And now it's hard to find because Similac had a recall and it's nigh impossible to get formula. I have to go to Target like every other day and just check the aisles. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, (laughs) I do have a little bit more statistics. Um, So what was the name? Susan Moshart, the woman who wrote a book. Oh, gosh. It was a while ago that I said this. She was a sociologist, Susan Moshart. She wrote the book, The Mask of Motherhood. She says, women in the first year of motherhood are five times more likely to suffer mental illness than at any other stage in their life cycle and a horrifying 16 times more likely to develop a serious psychotic illness. Research also shows that mothers of preschool children who lack supportive partners are at greater risk of clinical depression than any other adult group. Estimates of the incidence of mild depression Amongst mothers with preschool children range from 30 to 80%. So it's not just like some people think of the postpartum period as just a couple weeks or even a month after a child is born. It's years. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a long time. <laughs> yeah. So don't, uh, don't ever stop asking your new young mothers with like six years and younger how their mental health is doing. I mean, just always ask anybody, you know, hey. How's your mental health doing? <laughs> yeah. 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 How, how's that brain doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you all right? You all right up there? <laughs> yeah. Well, since that fateful day in 2003, laws in Minnesota have been put in place to regularly screen new mothers for postpartum depression and provide resources for them to diagnose and treat the condition. And uh can confirm, I still fill out a questionnaire every time I go to the pediatrician. <laughs> that there's just like a little... uh worksheet i fill out that's like do you cry more often than you normally used to do you find it hard to find joy in activity you know just like normal like depression screening questions depression screening stuff yeah yeah i i from where i stand i have mixed feelings about that and that mostly comes from like what would what actions would be taken if someone was screened as being depressed you know like again I, I understand and don't wholly believe that the healthcare system is up to get us. Um, but it's, it's always tough from, you know, where we sit. You, again, as a mom, you're, if you are struggling with that stuff and you think that they're going to take your kid away, why wouldn't you lie about it? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can play those what if games and I, I think you totally have a valid yeah. point, but I do think it is a step in a, a great step in the right direction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Um, being, uh, asking the questions certainly is a great step in the right direction. Um, yeah, I think, you know, only time will tell what extra steps need to be taken to get people more comfortable with answering them honestly. Yes, definitely. And uh, actually providing people with the help that they need uh, rather than just being like, oh, you're unfit. Uh, and the only way I know how to deal with that is to get you out of the equation, you know? Like, that's obviously not the right way to go about it. Yeah. So uh, making, you know, taking the right course of action um going forward when you are faced with a situation where 
someone is experiencing some sort of postpartum depression. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's again, it's, it is a process to make sure the right thing is done for everybody. Um, you know, let's just do our best to make sure that the wrong things don't start happening in the meantime. Yeah. And, um, so I did read the actual statute that Minnesota has regarding, you know, postpartum screening and it really is all about just providing the information, but it doesn't have any information on what needs to happen if somebody is found to be suffering from postpartum depression. So they a big, still big giant step, but yep. still needs a lot more work. Yeah. Yeah. As these things tend to do. Yeah. And, you know, we shouldn't say that, you know, they didn't do enough. At least we should be happy that a stride was made. And, um, yeah. Still, yeah. still not um, be content with that. Not be like, okay, good enough. Let's move on. But I'm not going to downplay the goodness of at least oh, forcing people to yeah. provide information about postpartum depression. Yeah, a lot of good came from a very bad situation, and um, yeah, I think obviously. Um, homage and you know awareness of the tragedy like we should pay homage to uh the tragedy of the situation um if for nothing else than to recognize well you know why (laughs) these things are done and why it's bad right um but i you know i don't think the focus going forward should be on the bad that happened but rather like the good that can come from it yeah Gaines does remember sobbing in her bed at Regents Hospital a few days after she was pulled from the river a nurse leaned into the doorway of her room Gaines says I don't remember her name but she was that one person who was unbiased and didn't know me from a can of paint she said Naomi if you were driving your car with the twins in the back seat and you crashed because you had a heart attack and your twins died, would people be blaming you or your heart attack? Gaines credits that observation as the beginning of her recovery. Just wanted to throw that in, because, uh, yeah. you know, it's so true. Those delusions were not mm-hmm. her fault, and she shouldn't really be blamed for what happened. It's the fault no. of her illness, not of her. And I mean, it's very possible that she'll always live with that regret. And I mean, I would not want to be responsible for making that any worse for her. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I would certainly hope for her that she could see past that awful moment in her life and, you know, find whatever acceptance she could forgiveness for herself or the situation I would not be surprised if she couldn't. Um, uh, Yeah. So I, again, like that, I don't blame her for something that was out of her control. You're right. Especially when you see the statistics of how many people suffer from, how many new mothers suffer from some sort of psychosis or depression. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And yeah, just, you know, 
don't don't hate. Yeah. <laughs> don't hate her. It's no no good will come from that. And you're not doing anyone any good right. by doing so. Like we said in the beginning of the episode, um, we're not going to touch too much on the racial aspect of this because, again, you know, we're two white people and that's yeah, really not our place to say to yeah. put our voices out there I in mean, that community. Um, as much as I know I try to educate myself and you try to educate yourself yeah. on that situation and culture, um, at the end of the day, we're just ignorant of, you know, the true steps that need to be taken in order to do something like destigmatize mental illness within the African-American community. Yeah. So instead, I focused more heavily on the postpartum depression and that whole aspect of this case. Um, but I just want to reiterate, I'm not ignoring the racial aspect. I'm sure that had yeah. a huge role in the entire Absolutely. way that she was treated from the day Naomi was born to her current day. But yeah, again, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's not our place uh, so, to comment on that. Yeah. To that point though, um, uh, it brings up another good point is, uh, you know, uh, racial bias shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. Ever <laughs> in any way, especially when dealing with, uh, you know, mental illness. Well, not especially, but like, Certainly when not when uh, dealing with anything in the medical community, um, you know, there is very little difference that comes uh, from cheating, you know, any sort of uh, health uh, related uh, situation between any race. Um, obviously, you know, there are going to be some things that are slightly different person to person. Uh, but race has, you know, l very little to do with that overall. Right. Um, and you know, it, it, that just shouldn't, it shouldn't matter what color a person is or, you know, their, their genetic makeup as far as the resources provided to them in order to help them get better. Yeah. And I say, you know, we can't comment on it, but you know, uh, there's, other people that can. So I recommend listening to those those podcasts, The Resistance in Color and Wellness in Color. And Naomi herself has written books. She um still puts out music. Her her um YouTube name is N G Young, which is uh, her initials. She got uh married after she was incarcerated, so she goes by Naomi Gaines Young now. Um and I did listen to some of her music. Uh, Hip-hop is not a genre that I have ever really gotten into, but I actually did enjoy her music. I thought it was it was really good. And, you know, her lyrics really touch home, and I definitely recommend giving them a listen. I will do that right after the podcast. Yeah. Because I do enjoy hip-hop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was impressed. Uh, you know, she's not signed on to a major label. It's not like she's working with a whole team of artists, but I thought that it was really well done, and uh, the production value was pretty good. And also, I saw the most accurate representation of Jesus that I think I've ever seen in a music video, uh, because he was not white. So props. <laughs> it was like, oh, hey. Good <laughs> that. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, Naomi's story. That's what I have for Naomi Gaines Young. Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, did our best to give the story justice. Um, even though, you know, again, we did focus mostly on the uh, the uh, mother 
aspect and the, uh, you know, the things related to that in the situation. Um, but again, there are, uh, there are, you know, there's recordings and things you can listen to of Naomi telling her own story. And that will certainly give a much better perspective on the situation than we ever could. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, we're here to bring awareness as to uh, what we think could have, uh, you know, helped her situation or like been done better for her. In this case, uh, we have more things to be pissed at Minnesota's uh, legal system for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, again, uh, from from where we're sitting, it, we're, we're bringing awareness um, and we hope that if this story uh, struck a chord with you for any reason, that you will go out and try to find more uh, tellings of it. Um, that being said, uh, as Amanda stated when doing her notes, there are certainly a lot of different avenues that the story was told from. Not all of them seem very credible. So just, you know, make sure that uh, if you are going to follow the story, that you understand that uh, there was a lot of sensationalism that surrounded it, especially uh, if you read stuff that happened around the same time that the event took place. So you just, you know, just go into it knowing that. Yeah. And uh, certainly I would definitely recommend uh, trying to find uh, any anything you can of Naomi telling her own story. And you know what? If she was involved in a cult and that's why she gave her kids unique names, who gives a fuck? Uh, that shouldn't really have anything to do with it anyway, because I still think they're cool names, even if they're more unique than most people would name their kids. And um, it doesn't really change the story other than that if she was involved in a cult it's it's just even more tragic because cults are awful and does not reflect necessarily on her as a person and she was already struggling mentally and it would not yeah surprise me if that I contributed mean, her to be getting sucked into a manipulative uh society certainly at this point I would agree with that because she does very much seem to be uh, someone who uh, was or is suffering from a mental illness, uh, is, uh, you know, doing what she needs to do to maintain uh, a healthy lifestyle and is actively trying to help other people in that situation. Um, I, but, you know, from the cult aspect, I would wonder, I think, you know, it would paint it in a different picture if the actions she took were in service of that cult. You know what I mean? That would change things, yes. But, I mean, just in the terms of, you know, people were really like, oh, she was involved in a cult, and that's why she named her kids these weird names. It's like, okay, go fuck yourself. If that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, if that's the only thing that people are leery about and thus are casting judgment of any kind, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were like, oh. That would be insane. Yeah. They're the real insane people, not Naomi. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, she was still on. But, uh, I mean, you know. it just seems like the, well, yeah, I mean, the mark is being missed completely if you're sitting there being like, oh, yeah, I heard this story about this woman who attempted to kill both her children and herself by jumping off of a bridge. I think she was in a cult because their kids had weird names. Yeah, exactly. Like, what? That's why. What? Yeah, no, that's why I was like, well, okay, so people, like, mentioned this whole cult thing, and I was like, I don't really believe it. Because their point was, that's why she named her kids, you know, sincere understanding and supreme knowledge. I'm like, no, that's bullshit. Get out of here with that. 
<laughs> like what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> now again, they're they're pretty unique names, but I've certainly heard more unique names used. Yeah. Like I've certainly seen people with you know, normal people, you know, people in society functioning, you know, without problem or issue that have names that would make you think that supreme understanding or supreme knowledge and sincere understanding are, you know, par for the course, normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill names. Yeah. Uh, names are just names at the end of the day. Like, it's just another aspect of this, like, whole concept of a homogenized culture where if you don't have any of the, you know, 15 common names right. that you're all of a sudden a weirdo. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's just baffling. Get out of here with that nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, you know, there are certainly words that are used for names that I'll make fun of because the word sounds funny. And if you have to call someone a word that sounds funny, that just kind of sucks for that person. Cause like I'll always kind of be giggling instantly when I have to address them. <laughs> but you know, that's, is, you know, not always the case with a unique name is that the word sounds funny. The way you like, yeah, the, I don't know. Yeah. The way I see it is, it's fun to laugh at somebody's like theoretical name. Like for instance, um, while I was pregnant, I had like an app with a forum on it where everybody could like, they're like, Oh, I want to name my kid this or that. And I'd share it with you guys and we'd laugh. But it, once it becomes somebody's real name, that's when like the joking stops. Now you're making fun of a person (laughs) that that has been assigned that name. And that is truly their name. It's different between, I think I'm going to name my kid this and I've signed documents and this is that person's name. Now you're just laughing at that person's name. Not that I've stopped laughing at people's names if they're truly hilarious, but um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. still like in in this particular case, I'm not trying to be all high and mighty and say like, I've never laughed at anybody's name because I certainly have, (laughs) but I laugh at at plenty of people's names who are real people. Yeah. um, Because they're funny names. But at the end of the day, I do so knowingly. And I think anyone should do so you know, with the understanding that it's the word that's funny and it does not reflect on the individual. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's very different. And so, yeah, to like, to make any claim, especially like in the culture that we have, a name isn't given a lot of, you, you know, you don't give someone a name because of who they are. Right. It's that's just not how that works. Yeah. So. I don't know. Anyway, so that's our rant on names. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very uh, important, I guess. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, I don't have anything else to add to the story of Naomi Gaines Young. Other than um, I wish her the best, and I uh, am happy to see that this very sad story has a you know was a happy ending for her, and that uh, she seems to have found a way to go on it through life and live a very happy and uh, you know successful life. Yeah, I I agree with you, and I also hope that um, the surviving twin um, finds a way to navigate their life without. A lot of trauma. I mean, that's that's going to be tough, and I feel for Absolutely. that kid. Well, 
much older than a kid now, but you know, um, my heart goes out to you. That's what I say to everybody involved in this situation because it's just a tragedy and it's it's hard to put the blame on anyone in particular other than maybe the court system. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that on that. <gasps> well, before we completely yeah. close out, um, have you been listening to any good audiobooks or podcasts recently? Uh, well, I, I suppose we recently... Um listened to Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology, which is, uh, you know, he just kind of wrote, um, you know, a, a more modern telling, you know, using t- today's vernacular to, to retell the Norse mythology stories that we fell on to. Who's we? Not all of them, but a good chunk of them. You and- uh, the society as a whole, like, uh, or, or we, I, you know, sorry, who listened <laughs> yeah. to it? Uh, my wife and <laughs> okay. I, my wife and I. It was like, yeah, I didn't sorry, listen to sorry. this. <laughs> anyway. That's cool, yeah, no. though. No, I mean, yeah, no, they are really cool stories. Like, uh, the, you know, again, um, a lot of, like, the Norse mythology was lost. Um, but, you know, there is a good chunk of surviving stories told about all the old Norse gods and all that. And, you know, it's a fun time. Uh, they, they certainly knew how to tell a real good story. Um, yeah. I, you know, I just <laughs> think their, they're, uh, I guess, pantheon of gods are just... They just seem so buck wild how they just kind of go about life and <laughs> yeah. it's all just so crazy all the time. And they're really just having a good time most of the time. Um, there just seems to be a huge gap between, uh, you know, day to day life for the gods and particular uh, like um, Loki kind of as like how he's uh, received by the rest of the gods uh, one day. They're they're all just like, oh, Loki, you crazy, mischievous son of a bitch. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, one day, he gets too drunk at a party and starts bad-mouthing everyone. And uh, they kick him out of the party, and he causes a whole fuss. And then the next day, they uh, take him into a cave, um, kill his son right in front of him, and use that son's entrails to tie him to a uh, stone table and uh, drip serpent's venom into his eyeballs for all of eternity okay (laughs) yeah yeah and i don't know like i I, you know i'm not like a a, certainly a scholar on the subject but it does seem like there's just a huge gap between those things happening right like all of a sudden they're just like you know loki we've had enough of your bullshit and this is how we're gonna respond yeah like oh okay zero to a hundred okay yeah Sisyphean but, yeah. venom dripping in the eyes as well. Not Sisyphean. Yeah. He just pushes a boulder up for eternity, right? I, I mean, it's the same concept. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of, yeah. Waterboarding. Um, with, yeah, his, yeah. Uh, his wife uh, holds a bowl over Loki's eyes um, uh, to, like, catch the venom to, like, oh. uh, to, you know, basically uh, stop it from hitting his yes. eyes. But, um Whenever she has to take the bowl away to empty it, uh, the venom will drip into his eyes. And I think that's earthquakes is his like lashing and screaming. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Something to that factor, you know, some sort of natural disaster happens whenever uh, the venom hits his eyes. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, believable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's just wild. 
Um, but also, we did just go see one of our favorite podcasts, The Adventure Zone. Uh, we being my wife, mm-hmm. uh, a good buddy of ours, and your husband, my brother-in-law. I thought you were saying <laughs> that your wife was a good buddy of ours. It's like, uh, I mean, oh. you're not wrong, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, your wife, our friend, and my husband went to go see yep. the Adventure Zone. I d- chose not to because I don't listen to it, and I wanted a night to myself. So, yeah, it was very nice. Both perfectly valid reasons. Yes. Yeah. But yes, the show was excellent. Very, very funny. Uh, the brothers and their father never fail to entertain. And this was uh, certainly in that vein as well. It was a really good show. Uh, very, very, very good time. Enjoyed myself immensely. Yeah. And it was storming and it was cool outside and it's a good day. I'm a little bummed that I missed that. Yeah. Uh, I did get to drive in it, which was fun. Um, but I had my dog with me most for most of it. And I was sad because he was a little scared. Oh, poor Finn. He's a little, you know. He's a little coward. He is. <laughs> yeah, and I got but, some yeah. yard work done. It was it was very nice. It was such a nice day out, despite the intermittent storms. It kind of made it more fun. Yeah, yeah. So, did you have to like run inside when the rain started to come, or like, or did <laughs> no. it kind of? No, it it, <laughs> it was because it wasn't storming for quite a while, and so I like sure. made it out to uh, Home Depot and. Got home, unloaded everything, even got everything planted that I wanted outside. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go inside. And then I started doing other stuff. And that's when it started storming. So it was perfect. I didn't uh, get it cut off or anything. Very good. Very good. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I also started listening to an audio book that a friend of ours recommended to me. And um, I was, I listened to the first book in the series um a while ago probably when i was very sleep deprived and because sasha was very young and then right after i listened to that first book i listened to the first book in a different series and now i'm trying to listen to the second book in one of those series and i had completely enmeshed both stories (laughs) from these fairly different books and so when i was listening to the second book i was getting very confused like when is this character coming in? I thought they were in a totally different city. And I was just like, oh my God, I completely molded both of these stories. They're <laughs> very similar and very different. And it was so confusing. But, uh, oh goodness. Yeah. Now I've got it figured out in my brain. And I think, unfortunately, what I'm going to do is listen to the second book in that other series now and <laughs> just continue oh, yeah. to confuse myself. <laughs> Maybe, well, maybe that'll help you clarify what happened in one versus the other, though, you know? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> uh, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, well, one of, the, one of the series I'm listening to is called the Codex Alera, and it's, it's very good. Um, and I don't remember the other series. But if anyone needs a new, long-winded, epic fantasy story to listen to, definitely recommend it. They're beefy books, but very good. Did that uh, wind whoosh come through when you said the name of it? Did you catch oh, that? Did no. you hear it? Oh, that would have been cool. Uh, that would have been really cool. The Codex Alera. Whoosh. That would have been extra cool because, like, part of the, the story is that people can control, like, the elements of the world. So, like, wind and water, earth and fire. So, it would have been extra cool. Well. Maybe you can just put it, the effect it in. It did get extra windy, yeah, when you said that. So, who knows? Yep. <laughs> I control the wind now. So uh, is that make me an airbender? I'm going to roll with it. 
I mean, you tell me you read the story. I didn't know it was Avatar. Well, it's not. Okay. But I'm just saying, I'm an airbender. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think we have uh, said enough, (laughs) probably more so (laughs) at this point. So I'm going to cut us off here before it's too much. All right. Well, if you feel so inclined, please leave us a rating and review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Honest feedback is the best feedback. It helps us grow, but please be kind. You can also find us on mm-hmm. our website, crimesagainstmentality.com, and we also have links to our social media accounts, where we are very inactive because social media is the devil. And thanks for listening, and have a good night. Goodbye. Goodbye.